Praise God. God is working in our midst, family, and that is exciting. And this is just the beginning. Hey, this morning we're going to open up to, um, in the Bible to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read a few scriptures there in Genesis chapter 4. If you want to pop over there, we're going to go to chapter 4, starting in verse 3. And we are going to remember this morning the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Yeah, so I'll give you a second there to open up to Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> really interesting, I think, how the Lord led me to this passage uh, because the um, I felt moved to this passage considering the fact that we've been talking about community, about caring for one another. What does it look like to be church? What is a, cr- a true Christian community supposed to look like? And, and how do we interact? And we talked about that last week a little bit. And so I felt led to Genesis chapter 4 where we read the story about Cain and Abel. You know, the, the famous line from Cain, his, his fresh, like, smart mouth re- remark to God when he said, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? I said, okay, I can see that, Lord. We're talking about community, watching out for one another. That is nothing to do with what this, the actual exegetical passage, it's not what this is even about. But let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3. <clears throat> It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Father, this morning I I simply ask that you would speak through your word. You've given us this passage because there's there's a message on your heart that you want to impart unto us. And so I pray that every bit of that truth, every bit of that message would come through in clarity and in power and in conviction so that we can understand what it is you're speaking to us and we can move in that direction. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See, this passage, really, when you look at the context of what's happening, about Cain and Abel are coming and they offer a path, uh, an offering to the Lord, and one was acceptable, one was what he had asked for, one was not acceptable, it was not what he had asked for, and how the Lord works with Cain on that, and Cain refuses the counsel and the coaching of God himself and decides to go do his own thing. This has nothing to do about being our brother's keeper. Well, what it has everything to do with is confronting sin. God is confronting Cain in this particular issue, and he happens to say, where is your brother? Because his sin issue, what was going on, was the fact that he had a problem with his brother, and instead of making it right, instead of just simply offering what the Lord had asked him to offer, instead he decided to attack the one who was offering correctly, according to what the Lord had asked for. And so he says, where is your brother? He confronts Cain with. And today, this morning, the question for us is the same. 
The question is, where is your brother? As you know, last week we talked about community and we, we dove into what that looks like and, and, and how we wrestle with community, but we're supposed to really engage in that and all the struggles that come with, with community. And it's so interesting because our society today calls for unity. We just need to be together, just lay down our differences. It calls for community. And yet with the same breath, the society calls for independence and self-rule. But these are two opposing things. You, you can't have one and the other at the same time. You must pick. Because if you're part of a community, you're coming together, you're laying down your independence and becoming dependent upon the community, and they are becoming dependent upon you. You now rely on one another. When you're part of a community, there's no more self-rule because you're laying down your own preferences to, for, towards the community rule, what the community decides. So there's a role of submission there. They're opposing ideas. They just can't go together. And so when you look at this idea of Christian community, what the Lord is calling us into, I see it, to be honest with you, I see it as a spiritual discipline. We talked about the spiritual disciplines and how these exercises help us to grow and mature in the Lord. Well, the spiritual discipline of community helps us to grow in the Lord like few other things. Because in this way, when we are committed to community, now we are able to strengthen one another. We are able to watch one another's back. Whereas if my brother is way over there and I have nothing to do with him, our lives never cross, we never come together, I can't even see what's going on in his life. Except maybe a Sunday morning, hello, how was your week? Good, good to see you. I don't even know what's going on in your life. How can I say that I'm, 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 I even, I'm supporting you? Because I'm, we're not connected. A lot of times when we think about our relationship with the Lord, we think about our new life in Christ, like our new life in Christ, whereas the, the reality is it's our new life in Christ. It's our life. It's a collective walk now. It's a new life experience that we share together. We share it in common, and we're also intended to share in a community. So the Lord says, where is your brother? This morning he asks us, where is our brother? What, have you, what are you doing with him? What have you done for him? What have we failed to do for him? How many here uh, grew up with siblings in the house? Siblings in the house, wow. Almost every single person. So, so those of you who have, you know that brothers and, brothers and sisters often have a, a very strong love-hate relationship. Everything can be all perfect and smooth one moment, and the next second, boom, it's like you're at each other's throats, about to tear each other down. I lived through many years of that with my two younger sisters. <laughs> Things can get hairy and real quick. Well, with Cain and Abel, here we have two siblings. Cain, it says, was the older brother. Abel was the baby boy, the baby brother. And we really don't know how far apart they were. For all we know, Cain could have been a grown man and Abel's still a boy or a teenager at the time where they had this conflict here. But what we do know is that there was some friction going on, and Cain was at his neck, literally. But when you grow up together and you have a family like this, there's, there's an unbreakable bond, because those formational years that we share together, we're all growing together with our, with our parents, there's a bond there um, that can't be really matched in life. 
And so no matter whatever direction in life you end up going in, wherever life carries you, you always have those, those foundational roots in common. That bond will always be there. And yet Cain's rebellion towards God was so strong that it caused him to go against Cain in such a way to bring him to death. And isn't that interesting too, that the first human death in the world ever recorded was not a natural death, it was by murder. And not even the first, the first death being murder, but the first death was also really a, a martyrdom. Abel was killed really for persecution. He was offering according to what the Lord had asked, and the hater came and killed him. In John 3, 5-7, to 7, Jesus said this, I'm telling you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. See, when a baby is born, it's born into the world by a mother and a father, and it's part of something bigger than itself. It's part of a family. Brothers and sisters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, all these things, they're part of this, this family unit. And when we are born of the Spirit, what many times are, is referred to as born again, when we're born of the Spirit, no one is born as an only child. We are born into a family we are born into a family where there are many brothers and sisters, countless, vast numbers of brothers and sisters beyond our, even our understanding. And Jesus is not only our Savior, but in the family of God, it says that Jesus is the Son of God. And so now, for us, he's our Savior, but he's also our older brother. There's another interesting point to, to, to mention is this. That in the first family that existed in the world, the older brother killed his younger in hatred and in anger. And yet with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that the older brother sacrificed his own life to protect and restore the younger brother. And this is what we are even called to do. See, once we're born into this family, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've given our life to him. We've given him the old man. Like, I'm going to give you what I got. It ain't much, but here it is. And then in return, in return, he has made us a new creation. And in part of that new creation, it says all through the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. We are one body of Christ. Though we act like there's all these different bodies, we don't act with the mentality or even expectations that we are one. But Jesus says that we are one body, and so we are one body. We might be very uncoordinated right now. We might have a lot of injuries on our body because we cause self-hurt to one another, but yet still we are one body, Jesus says. In Romans 12, 5, it says that in Christ, though we are many, we form one body. And listen to this. This is the big one. Every member belongs to all the others. We don't belong to ourselves any longer because we've given ourselves to Jesus. And in the word, he says that now we belong to one another. Last year, um, I got a, a gift for one of my sons, for Brendan, the youngest one. He is a football fanatic. He absolutely loves it. So I got him some receiver gloves. And I gave him these gloves, and man, they've got the sticky palms. And he absolutely, absolutely loves these things. He was out uh, every day, hours using these things. You bring them to school, bring them to recess. And like a month after having them, I take a look and it's just like, they're like shreds. Like all the stickiness is gone. It's just all torn up. And I'm like, 
what'd you do to these things? And, well, he made some good use out of it. He loved it. He would, he would wear them to, you know, do his homework and things. Like, wear them constantly. Never wanted to take them off. So this year, he's, he joined a flag football team. So now he had actual use for these gloves. And so I bought him a, another new pair, a nicer pair. And I said, listen, these, these stay in the house. You don't use these at recess. These don't go to school. They just, we can use these when we practice together and when you go to your games. All right? So what happens after a few weeks? I find him coming home, and, and here they are in his backpack. Or just two weeks ago, when I go outside, he's playing with his buddies, and there he's, he's using them outside. When I say, pick up your gloves and come in the house, there's only one of them. Of course, because he's using it. You know, he's he, being a nine-year-old. He's having fun with them. But not, the first pair was mistreated and destroyed. The second pair, again, he didn't follow what I had hoped he would do. And so he lost one. Now he's got one glove for the rest of the season. But I wonder if anyone here has ever given a gift to somebody that was kind of special to you or something that you expected them or hoped that they would kind of take care of to, to, to use it and make good use out of it and appreciate it. And so we have certain expectations for it or hopes for that thing, at least maintain it. But the truth is, once we've given something away, no matter how dear it was to us, and no matter what kind of expectations you might have for it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not yours, so you don't have any jurisdiction over what they do with it. That new owner, it belongs to them. And when you might see how they're treating it, be like, oh, can you maybe just, okay. It might, it might hurt to see how they're using that thing, but it's theirs, and they can do what they want with it. And see, once we've come to the Lord, we've given him our old self, and it's gone. He's given us a new creation. We don't belong to ourselves any longer. We are his. The Lord's been reminding us over these past few weeks, too, this place of surrender that he wants us to live in. Why? Because we've already given ourselves to him. We shouldn't be fighting back. I want that back. No, just give me this area of my life back. Oh, just don't touch this thing. That's, that's, kind of, that's mine. No, it's not. We are not our own. The word says that we've been bought at a price. And so now the Lord gets to say what happens to us. The Lord is the one who has jurisdiction over our lives. See, while we might be aware of this in our minds, so many times we want nothing to do with one another. Sometimes it might just be a busy thing, like, hey, this is, this is my life. You know, I, I, I get up, I'm with the family, we got a, a half an hour together, I go to work, my wife goes to her work, we come back, we, we have a meal together, oh, before you know it, you're doing homework with kids, it's bedtime, it's always, this is it, this is, this is what I do. And so it might just be busyness that just keeps us alone, in solitude, or just with our, our, our small group of people. Or sometimes it might be, really, our, our relational struggles because there's some people that just rub us the wrong way. But at the end of the day, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. And he has taken us, and he has now imparted us into one body. And all the members belong to one another. And what his hope and his, his intention is for the body, with Christ as the head, it says, is that we would now work together in a coordination, coordinated fashion that we would be able to exercise and move and grow strength together. Sometimes when you look at the way uh, a church functions, 
the community functions, it's all like discombobulated. It can't even stand on its own two feet, never mind move anywhere or get anything done. Why? Because we fight for our own independence. I've given myself to the Lord, but I'm not giving myself to her. I'm not going to give I'm not going to get in the middle of that. That's that's all there's too much going on there. I'm going to keep my distance. You're it's not up to you. And it's not up to me. It's up to the Lord because we're his. And so when his spirit speaks and gives us conviction, we must move and submit to that even when it hurts. In Romans 12 it actually says honor one another above yourselves. Oh, but this is really important to me. Oh, oh, but I have this obligation above yourselves is how he wants us to honor and respect one another. When Cain's offering was not accepted, it says that he was angry. He was downcast. And God asked him, why are you angry? Why are you upset? If you do what's right, you will be accepted. See, God didn't disguise from Cain what he wanted. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't like, hey, Cain, I want something from you. Come and give it to me. And Cain had to search and wonder, okay, what does he want today? He's not out to confuse us, and he wasn't out to confuse Cain. Cain knew exactly what the Lord wanted, but Cain didn't want to give him what he wanted. Cain wanted to give him something else. He said, I, I see what you want, God, I'm gonna, but I have something. This is of equal value, and, and so take this instead. God said, no, that, that's not what I asked for. Sometimes we know when we feel, even in our spirit, we don't want to acknowledge what he's asking, but we know what he, what he wants. And so we kind of appease him and say, oh, how about for today I'm going to give you this instead. That's not what he's asking for. What he wants for us is a heart of humility. What he wants for us is to give ourselves to one another, even as we've given ourselves to him. So he tells, and he tells Cain, it comes with a warning, he said, listen, sin is after you. Sin wants you. And today, even in this room, sin wants us. You are desirable. Sin wants you, and it desires to rule over you. If you've ever felt insignificant or unwanted, but you look in your life and you can see that you fall into sin, let that be a reminder that you're, you are significant, because even sin wants you. And why? Why does the enemy want us? Because we were made for God's glory and we were made for a relationship with him. And so all the enemy's desire is is to take glory and attention away from God. Remove us from our very purpose. Sin wants us, but Jesus wants us all the more. See, no amount of sin can, can remove us from the body of Christ. Once we've given our life to him, it's his. We receive salvation and the forgiveness that he died to give us. And so if we, even if we fall into sin, it doesn't mean, oh, oh I'm not saved anymore. Okay, now, now I'm back destined for hell once again. But even once we've come to the Lord, still, sin still wants you. Because if it doesn't have you, you will have an unlimited impact in this world for the glory of God. Sin has the ability to neutralize, one, our, our growing in the Lord, becoming healthy and strong as believers, and it also has the ability to shut down our influence and our impact in our families, in our workplace, in our community, in all of these things. There is still a purpose for sin to try to get its way into our lives even after we receive salvation. But the Lord asked him, why are you downcast? I think about Peter. When Jesus was asking him, do you love me? 
And it said that Peter became disturbed because he asked him three times. In John 21, 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, I, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You love me. Care for my people. That instruction isn't for Peter alone. Jesus points us constantly and consistently to love and care for one another. To love Jesus is to know our brother and care for him. To love Jesus is to bear with one another in love and submit to each other. If we claim to belong to Christ, then we need to recognize that that one statement that I am Christ says it all that we belong to one another too. where our love for our brother ends. Whenever we get to that place where we say, okay, I've, I've tried, I've done what I can, I'm, I'm walking away. Wherever our, the limits are for our love and care for our brother, there is demonstrated the limit of our love for God. And similarly, just like our story in Cain, when we come against our brothers, we will find that not only have we come against our brother, but we've come against the Lord God himself and his will. That is not a place that we want to be. See, God wants us with him, and as we pursue him, we can't avoid, family. We cannot avoid coming closer together. We're all moving to the same place. It doesn't matter if you're in one corner of the room and I'm in the other. If we're moving to Christ, who's at the center, every step brings me closer to you. And if my focus comes off of Christ who's at the center and on you and I see something I don't like and so I stop pursuing, all that does is stop my growth in the Lord. He wants us to be with him, but that means we are together. We've got to be so committed to Christ that even when there's times where there's frustrations, we just want to walk away, my commitment to Christ will not release me from taking another stride closer toward you. It will not stop me from confronting and working through our frustrations, our arguments, or disagreements, even though I'm not really a confrontational person. But Jesus said, take another stride towards him, and they're there waiting. We've got to have those hard conversations. We can't walk away from, from one another. And trust me, this is something that's, that's not easy for me because I'm, I'm the one who likes, loves harmony. Let's all just get along. And then, oh, that's a touchy subject. Let's just kind of leave that one on the shelf. We'll get to it eventually when the time is right. Hopefully it'll just disappear on its own. But that's not real life. Real life means there's a million different personalities and preferences and ways of doing things. And you like one, and you like a different way, and you like a different one. And God's all coming, God's calling us all to that one same place. See, it's easy to be connected and, and to, to get along the, when we're further apart. Community and unity, they're great ideas, it's a great thought. But when we start taking a step towards that direction, the closer that we come, the more differences we pick up on. We say, Ooh, okay, I didn't see that coming. All right. Ooh, stopping our track. Is, is that one going to? I'm not sure how I feel about that. The closer that we come, the more differences that you will realize and the less similarities that you will have. 
So what's going to keep us moving in the right direction when we have less and less and less things in common? The only thing that can overcome all of those differences is by keeping our focus set on Christ. In all things, it says in, in, in Colossians that all things are created by him, for him. This is our purpose. This is our reason of existence. And so I can't allow any differences or even any kind of bitterness, any of these things that would, that would want to keep me away from my brother. I have to engage that brother if I'm going to be committed to Christ. If I'm going to continue to grow in Christ and grow closer to him, I have to work through those issues. He's made us one, and he wants us to realize that a little bit more every day and live that way. To obey that common pull, that draw that Christ has on us, it means to lay down our preferences and our priorities with every step. Because if we don't lay down our own will the way that we want to do things, we end up fighting for our own will. That puts us right back in Cain's shoes. When Jesus said, why are you downcast? I'm showing you the right way. I'm trying to help you. This is not a bad thing. I'm not condemning you. I'm showing you the right way. But Cain refused to walk in that right way. And instead, what did he do? He turned and fought and attacked and brought him to a place he never intended to be. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 13, he said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we think about that verse about, you know, mighty feats and exciting things that we can do with the power of the Lord. But when you look at this in context, what it's really talking about is I can even humble and submit myself to any circumstance the Lord leads me into, and I can get through it through Christ who strengthens me. I can even lower myself below my brother or sister who I have a hard time getting along with, I can submit to them through Christ who strengthens me. See, and when we come together and we begin to overcome, the, overcome these things that would separate us, special things begins to happen. Things begin to change. On the inside of us, but also on the outside of us. Multiple times in the book of Acts, when we see these communities coming together, devoted to one another, praying and supporting one another, um, nurturing one another, even giving up of their own, their own goods to make sure everyone had what they needed. What followed that, it says, are miracles, signs and wonders. Kind of like what we just testified to before I started opening the Word. These things follow as we continue to take strides consistently towards the Lord, then His blessing is on that. And those are exciting things. When we watch and we see how God is literally touching people's physical body and making them well in a supernatural way that doesn't make sense to the world because it's not natural, it's supernatural. And yet, when we look at the big picture, to me, the greatest miracle, the greatest wonder and sign is not God touching our bodies and doing these physical signs. The greatest miracle to me is people coming together sacrificially caring for one another. People actually giving up the, of the things that they need, giving it to someone else who has a need. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of the heart. 
to go from a place to say, I'm not my brother's keeper, to go to this place where it says in the book of Acts that no one considered anything their own and they gave all to one another as they had need. That's a miracle. That's an internal miracle. See, even good works, even giving to one another, there can be a level of selfishness to that. Because let's be honest, it feels good to help people, the warm and fuzzies that come along with that, right? But it's a miracle when we keep giving and caring for one another, even when it actually begins to hurt. When our own supply begins to run out, and even still, they say, I see a need, I have something, I'm going to give it. That's when it's really giving. See, when we aren't taking from our extras, when we're not taking anymore from our leftovers, but instead we're taking from our own table. When we give people provision from our own plate instead of over from the serving pan over here. When we start to feel that. See, if we can't feel the weight and the sacrifice of the gift, are we really giving at all? To love as Jesus loves means giving our very selves, our own portion, our own supply, so that others can be well and provided for. God touching our bodies, doing these wonderful things in the world, that's nothing for him. This is, this is simple. This is easy for him. It's the heart transformation of loving one another, the divine invading the natural and transforming us into sons and daughters of God. That's, that's a miracle. And this is the very thing that Jesus prayed for before he died. In John 17, we've said this passage many times when he said, Father, I pray for all all believers that will come. He prayed for you and I in this room right, right now. I pray for all future believers that they would be one the same way that you and I are one. He wanted us to be united. And he finished that prayer, and then he began to climb the hill of Calvary to a, and he walked to that torturous death. Why? Because God the Father who he was perfectly united with asked him to. But his prayer was that we would be united the same way that he and the Father are, are united. And then he walked in submission to that death. That's the kind of submission and unity that he wants for us. Do we love one another like that? Because that's what Jesus is praying for us. It's a unity that hurts. It's a community that is achieved through submission. And it's our opportunity to identify with Jesus Christ, our older brother. See, God said to Cain, He said, Don't be downcast. I'm helping you here, I'm showing you what is acceptable. See, it could be kind of uncomfortable sometimes. Even a little painful when that conviction hits. But his word to us is this, don't run from conviction. Why are you downcast? I'm showing you the right way. This discomfort is a blessing because it's his guidance showing us what it is that he is asking. Don't run away from conviction or even frustration. Run to it. Run to the fire like we talked about months ago, Brother Mike. Run to the fire. Don't run away from discomfort or pain. Pain helps us because it serves as an indicator that something's wrong. Something's not right here. It needs attention. 
I remember when, um, in high school when I was on a football team and I, I ended up getting an injury to my knee. I snapped the ACL in my knee and so that's, that's the ligament that stops your foot from like when you kick from your toe to come and like kick you in the chest. Like stops it right here. So that snapped and so now the knee can kind of wobble wherever it wants to go. But after the initial shock, it kind of feels normal, it feels okay. So after I did that, I, I didn't have the surgery and I waited and I, and I tried to keep playing on it. And every time you try to cut or move, those bones snap right out of place again to yank all the ligaments and muscles out of there. That is something that you cannot play through. That is something that you need an operation or a sign and wonder from the Lord, which he chose not to do in that particular time. <laughs> but the idea is that when there is pain, pain is an indicator that something needs attention. Something's not right here. We need to, to give it attention. We need to explore what do I have to do differently. We can't just ignore it and let it go away or, or push harder in the sit, push through the pain and expect it to just go away. See, it's pride in us that causes us to respond to pain in a way to try to ignore it and pretend it's not there. I don't feel that. That doesn't touch me. Meanwhile, day by day, our heart gets harder and harder. But it's a humble heart that enables us to receive that pain, that discomfort, with a grateful heart, knowing that even though this makes you a little uneasy that I realize what I'm doing right now, this is a blessing because the Lord is showing me the right way to go. With a humble heart, we can take that closer look and see what we have to do differently to be healed. We don't want to run from the pain, but we want to run to it because that therein is the deeper and more intimate work of the Lord, deep in our spirits. And when he's doing a greater work in us, he's, doing, he's able to do a greater work amongst us. We can't expect hurts to just heal themselves but we must recognize the hurt and allow that healing to take place. The difficult part is that often means letting ourselves become vulnerable to one another. It often means giving access to brothers and sisters to areas that we're not comfortable giving people access to. But when we allow them into that place, they can speak life, they can speak healing, they can provide the, the, the support that is needed. Galatians 6 reminds us, as I'm um, wrapping up here, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Our call is to be one. We've been given to one another, and so I belong to you. And you belong to me. My obligation to you is through the Lord, and it's to restore you to love you, to know where you are when the Lord said, where is your brother? So that I can be there and be a help. And this is our collective responsibility all to one another. See, being brothers and sisters sometimes means that we have to allow others access into our lives to help us. And sometimes being brothers and sisters means we have to do the helping but being brothers and sisters always means that we have to be in close enough proximity to know the difference. I have to know where you are, how you are, in order to know what you need and how I can be there for you and support my body, which is you. 
if we aren't moving towards each other in true Christian community, we have to question whether we are really moving towards Christ. Jesus' question to Cain was, where is your brother? Maybe we don't know because we haven't sought him out and made it a point. We haven't made an intention to go and find where our brother or sister is. Or maybe, maybe like Cain, if Jesus asked, where is your brother? Maybe we know exactly where he or she is because they're in the same place that we left them when we left that argument or that difficulty. They're right where we left them. And Jesus says, don't just know where they are because where, they're, where they are is where I am. If you want me, if you love me, go to them because there am I. Care for them and you will find me. Let's pray. God, would you continue to transform our hearts? God, we want you and we love you. But sometimes we really don't want one another. We just want you. Because we're all in this process of being healed. And in the, min in the meantime, while we're not quite there, we can be prickly. We can cause hurts to one another. And we just want you. You can deal with each one, all the others. You can do that. That's what your Holy Spirit is there for. I just want you and your spirit. But I hear you this morning when you say, where is your brother? That's where I want you to be. Help us, God. Help us, God. Give us strength to make intention to move towards them, knowing that's where you are knowing that as we do that, your faithfulness will, will um, guide the way, will guide our interactions, and you will, you will continue to take us deeper as we become willing to follow you into those hard times and those hard encounters. When we are faithful to follow and just stay surrendered where you put us, you will continue to bring us deeper and deeper to places that we didn't even know were accessible in you. And that is what we are looking for, Jesus. We want more. We want to go deeper. So we hear your call, move towards each other. Give us the awareness, Holy Spirit, and the strength, I pray. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, family. Have an amazing week. Be blessed.